Welcome back to another episode of Water Cooler Genius. I am your host, Chadwick Burks, and today on the show, we are going to talk about the 60s, and specifically, the amazing band of The Monkees. Like, wait, The Monkees? Sounds kind of familiar, not really sure I've heard of them, but, you know, the 60s was such an amazing decade. When I start going through some of the facts from the 60s, you're going to go like, holy sh... uh, crap. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that went on during that time period, and a lot of things that are hugely historically significant you didn't even realize were linked to the 60s. But once I go through and start telling you these items to help educate you, to make you become the genius of the water cooler, slash bar, slash library, slash DMV, I mean, look, I'm not going to judge, I don't know where you hang out, I don't know exactly what kind of things you got going on. My job is to enlighten you with amazing knowledge, so that's what we're going to do. 1967 was called the Summer of Love, and I'm sure you've all seen those videos of all the hippies around at Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco, dancing around, everyone's doing drugs, people are showing their boobs and all of that such, right? That was the Summer of Love. That's kind of the peak of the hippie movement, and during the 1967, there were some very significant things going on in music. A lot of bands that you hear today that you consider super classic rock, amazing bands, they actually were at, during their heyday during the 60s. And one of those bands was the Monkees. And like I said, you're like, the Monkees? Who's that? And by the way, when you're doing your research, all you youngsters, all you millennials that never heard of the Monkees, you'd spelled M-O-N-K-E-E-S, as was the trend of the day to take a word and misspell it, much like the birds, the Beatles etc. Anywho, 67 was like the peak of this whole period. And in 1967, the Beatles released Magical Mystery Tour and Sgt. Pepper's in that same year. Okay, Huge albums, huge, huge, huge albums. And guess what else? The Rolling Stones released two albums in that year as well. And those were ginormous bands. The Rolling Stones and the Beatles were like the creme de la creme, right? So, in that exact year, the Monkees in the United States outsold the Rolling Stones and the Beatles combined. Just let that sink in there for a minute. The Monkees outsold the Rolling Stones and the Beatles combined. Now you might be starting to give these guys a little bit of respect, yeah? Well, I don't have time to go through the, the whole backstory of the Monkees in this entire podcast. I will tell you this. If you do some research on them and some say, well, they weren't a real band, they don't play their own instruments, that's all baloney. That's all been proven false over the years. Of course they were a real band. They started out with auditions. They were a band that was put together, much like the Spice Girls and the Backstreet Boys and such back in the day. But, you know, after the first few months, they evolved into a real band, and if I may say so, a badass real band. So there's so many things about the Monkees that are just really encapsulate the 60s as well as, uh, you know, what I told you about outselling the Beatles and the Stones. So I'm going to let you have a little listen to Mickey Dolenz, who was the lead singer for the Monkees, sang most of their big number one songs, 
hugely like, I don't know. It was a toss up. Was he the favorite monkey or not? Nah, everybody liked Davey cause he was really cute, but I'm telling you, Mickey was the funny one. So for you gals, you got to fight it out between yourself back then in the sixties. And right now who is the cutest and the best one. But we have an interview with Mickey Dolans that I conducted, uh, you know, a few days ago and it kind of gives you a little insight on what's going on. Mickey is actually on tour right now. Yes, he's on tour. He's in his early 70s. I think he's like 73, I think. And still rocking it, still out there kicking it. He's actually on tour right now with Michael Nesmith, who is another member of the Monkees. So out of the four original members, uh, one, Davy Jones, has passed away. Uh, but the other three are out there still rocking it. And Mickey's on tour. So you'll hear us talking about the tour and such in the interview. But go ahead, enjoy this little tidbit, this little bit of history about Mickey Dolan's. And then we're going to come back, we're going to talk more about the 60s. We're going to talk about some amazing facts about the monkeys that will blow your mind and why you should appreciate this band. And before we jump into that interview, just so you know, you've heard the song, I'm a Believer, right? Oh, yeah, Shrek sings that. Yeah, no! Smash Mouth, hell no. It's originally a monkey song. And before you go, well, was it a popular song, whatever? That song sat at number one for 18 weeks. Number one, 18 weeks. So these boys had a little bit of clout. So here you go. Check it out. My interview with Mickey Dolans. And then let's talk about the 60s, baby. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah. We have the one, the only Mickey Dolans from the Monkees is on the line with us. Mickey, are you out there? <laughs> wow, what an intro. <laughs> and by, uh, by the way, it's a great name for a group, Pointless Banter. Oh my gosh, you are totally right. That is the best <laughs> name ever for a group. Uh, but we are we are huge fans of you, Mickey. So this is a giant thrill to have you on the air with us. In fact, we even uh, and th that wasn't just for you. The opening theme for this show every week for years and years and years has been "I'm Not Your Stepping Stone." Oh no, kidding! How cool! Yeah, that's that that is a, an amazing tune. You know, and that that gives me a great idea right out the gate. So uh, if you don't mind, you've probably been asked this question a million times, but I've never heard the response. What would you say is one of your all-time favorite monkey songs? And then what's a monkey song that you don't mind uh, if it is not played any further? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's a, that is a, a tough question. I do get asked that uh, frequently. And it's really hard to kind of, to, you know, I have, I, I can give you a top, you know, top five or six. Oh, that's um, beautiful. That yeah. I like to... Um, well, but I, uh, it's it's songs that I like to perform. You know, all those songs were written by such incredible writers. They don't, you, you know, people like Boyce and Hart and Carol King and Jerry Goffin and and um, uh, Neil Diamond and uh, Neil Sedaka and Paul Williams and Harry Nielsen and you know they, they don't write a lot of duff tunes. Those people. <laughs> right. Some of them uh, do perform live. Uh, better than others i don't i'm not sure even that's the right word better but just tend to you know it's funny because sometimes you think a song is going to work really well live and it, sometimes it doesn't work as well as something else that you you didn't think i must say that um i love well i love stepping stone you know it's such a rocker um and i love pleasant valley sunday carol king and jerry goffin mm -hmm. and i i love uh, quite a bit of the carol king uh jerry goffin stuff as a matter of fact uh, sometime in the morning, and then Carol's songs off of the movie Head, uh, Porpoise Song, and As We Go Along. 
Um, funnily enough, I, uh, funny enough, I love singing Let's Dance On, you know, that song oh, from yeah. the, the pilot episode. And um, and so many. Clarksville, of course, I'm a believer, always is, gets such a huge response. Right, right. You know, so it's tough to narrow it down. Yeah, it is. There's so many. But it's funny you mention that because one of my all-time favorites is the Porpoise song. And that's one that is not... You know, it's it's not regularly thrown out there when people think of the monkeys, but that that is actually one of my absolute favorite songs. Huge song and uh, high performance. But as you say, there's not uh, it's not a typical uh, top top ten monkey. It wasn't a single and and didn't uh, you know? Uh, I don't know if I can't even remember if it was released as a. I don't think so. I don't think it was ever released as a single. So you'd have to know the movie. And, and, you know, kind of intimately chip. But, boy, what an incredible song, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I get I, Literally, that's the song that uh, I, I, I educate a lot of people to that because every time I go out, uh, you know, to, ha- to have a couple of drinks, that's what I pop on the jukebox. <laughs> wow. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Mickey, you're, you're on tour right now. So we are treated to only Mickey Dolan's. We don't have to have that watered down by anyone else. <laughs> yeah, I, I do uh, quite a few solo shows uh, 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 every year. Well, well, last year I didn't do so many because I was out with Peter doing the uh, the the, the uh, monkey thing. So I uh, didn't do many solo shows. But there's not a frankly there's not a whole lot of difference between my solo show and a monkey show because as you know I I was blessed uh, you know uh, that I sang most of the of the songs, certainly most of the hit singles, uh, not all, but but quite a few of them, and um, and a lot of the album cuts, of course. And and I always make sure that in my solo show, I know why people are coming to the show, and I give them what they want. I sing all those monkey hits in their entirety, including Stepping Stone. And in fact, I also have another show I'm doing along with uh, uh, Mark Lindsay of the Raiders. Um, we're doing a, a few shows called uh, 50 Summers of, of Love, which is a celebration of 1967, where we both, both of us had so many hits that year, one of them being uh, Stepping Stone, uh, we sing, um, because he recorded that also. In fact, Mark recorded that before I did, uh, except I had the hit, and I tease him about that. And um, <laughs> that's one of our, that's our opening tune in the show. Is Stepping Stone, the two of us singing it. But in my solo show, yeah, it's um, it's all monkeys. Uh, and then a few surprises. I do some, a uh, uh, couple of non-monkey things, but they they tend to be songs that, that have a story attached. Like, for instance, I do uh, Chuck Berry, the late, great Chuck Berry. I do Johnny Be Good. Uh, but I tell the story um, before I sing the song of why I'm doing it, and that's because that was my audition piece for the monkeys. That's the song that got me the gig. Oh, wow. Wow. So uh, when you do your solo shows, are you going to be, uh, do you touch on any uh, songs, Davey or Mike songs there as well? And if so, have you had any difficulty in uh, doing the vocals for those since they weren't songs you normally did? No, you know, I don't do all, I don't do all, all of Davey's uh uh, material, but I certainly do a couple. I do Daydream Believer, for instance, because that's a huge sing-along, and you know the audience sings most of it for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that makes it a lot easier. And I love doing Nesmith material. Uh, I I don't know if, if I'll be doing anything on that particular show, 
Right. Okay. But uh, okay. So I know I know Mickey that you've had in your in your career you you've done a little bit of everything. I mean I can't even go through the list of you know actor director. Um, you've even you've done theater quite a bit over uh, even in the UK. So can you tell me a little bit about about what you've been doing in the theater? Well, I started doing musical theater. Uh, well, the first thing I did was many many years ago, and I really. I always wanted to get into doing musical theater, but I lived in L.A., and I was in television and film, and there's not, still not a whole lot of theater here in Los Angeles. But I was always a fan, and I always wanted to get into it, and then I just got lucky one, one, uh, one day, and <clears throat> I was asked to do Grease on Broadway, um, and that was my first sort of foray into it. And I did the national tour, and... So that kind of got me into that world. And then uh, a little while later, a few years later, I did a uh, funny thing happened on the way to the forum. And then, uh, and then I got a huge break uh, in, in New York on Broadway doing Aida, the Elton John, Tim Rice uh, musical. And I did that for the best part of a couple of years uh, uh, on the national tour and then on Broadway. And, and then I just kept going to auditions. I was asked to audition for a few things, and I did. I did. I uh, got Pippin, the revival of Pippin, and then I got a big, uh, big show in in the UK, as you mentioned, Hairspray. Did that for the best part of a year, and um, uh, and I love it. I just, uh, you know, I'm hoping to do, you know, other stuff. I have been offered things that I wasn't able to do because I already had was committed to. Uh, to other uh, other things like uh, like monkey tours and stuff like that, and I just uh, love it. My dad was a light opera singer. My mom had done uh, musical theater, and and um, and I must admit, I I really really like it. You know, the best part about it, I've told people that, you know, when they say you're doing musical theater on Broadway, that's like, you know, eight shows a week. And I'm like, yeah, but it's all in the same place. <laughs> I've done eight shows a week and traveled 400 miles between each one. <laughs> exactly. And so, eight shows a week, where you're, you know, you after the show, you go have have some dinner and a drink and go home. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's wonderful. Yeah, because you you know the stage, you know the dressing room. There, there's no maybes yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So is so was that musical theater kind of the the impetus for uh, you making a Broadway album? Because a lot of people do not know that Mickey Dolenz has a Broadway album, and that is a darn good album too. Now, do you mean uh, the Broadway Mickey one, the children's one, or the new yes. one? A little bit rock and a little bit Broadway, a little bit rock and roll. Both, both are amazing. Oh, both. Yeah, well, the children's one I did a number of years ago, actually before I'd done a lot of Broadway a children's uh, album of Broadway tunes. But the new one is just a year or so old. That's a, a cabaret show that I do, that I've done on, uh, uh, on uh, off-Broadway at the uh, Feinstein's 54 Below. And that is uh, half a, you know, rock and roll, uh, monkey tunes mainly, uh, the big ones. And then half tunes that um, I remember my mom and dad singing and, and from, and, shows that I did, and I do it with a little four-piece uh, jazz combo. My sister sings with me on that show, uh, too. And um, and it, it's, uh, I got to tell you, it's scary, boy, doing it in a 
in a very intimate dinner theater, you know, because on Broadway, uh, the theater uh, uh, off Broadway, a lot of Broadway uh, uh, singers, uh, performers uh, sing there uh, at night, late night show, and some big, big performers will do, you know, uh, uh, shows. So I tell a lot of stories about family and my parents and the songs that I'm singing, and I've I've done, you know, you can't find a big, big rock and roll band, and and you know, it's very you're you're out there pretty much naked, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's there's nowhere to hide when you're in those little intimate nowhere intimate to areas. Hide. <laughs> well, we're we're here with Mickey Dolans from the Monkees, the one and only. And Mickey, I know I know you got to catch a plane here shortly. So uh, if you got to go, just say we got to go. But I'll I'll push okay. it I'll push it until then. <laughs> so. Um, this is something that's always been very interesting to me, as well as a lot of other Monkees fans. Are You have some very talented daughters. What's going on with your daughters right now? Oh, boy, yeah, I certainly do. Um, well, two of them uh, are in the business. Uh, my oldest, Amy, uh, well, was. She did an awful lot of television and film work. Now she's um, getting her uh, degree in uh, children's book illustration. She's always wanted to do that. In fact, she wanted to do that even before she was an actress, and she's just getting her degree in that. And then my youngest, funnily enough, is uh, an actress here in Hollywood, just finished the Groundlings uh, Improv Theater Group, a very famous improv theater group here in Los Angeles. Her name is Georgia. And she just produced her own uh, uh, Internet pilot uh, for a, a TV show that is currently being edited right now. And uh, and I also have a real business with her. It's a furniture business. We make fine furniture. It's called Dolan's and Daughters Fine Furniture. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. It's crazy. Um, I'm on tour right now, so she had to post on the website, we can't take any more orders because Daddy's on tour. <laughs> <laughs> but in August, we're going to be uh, working 24-7 in the shop fulfilling these orders we hand make all the uh, furniture ourselves one of the most wonderful things i've ever done check it out dolan's and daughters fine furniture oh absolutely it's it's yeah mickey you don't have enough going on now you're hand making furniture i mean come on <laughs> <laughs> i love it it's a great a great you know change of pace from from what i do in in the entertainment world right right what do we have in the works for you mickey for a new album is there a new album on the way uh, not right at the moment, no. Um, but you never know. Uh, we had the, the monkeys had this huge album for us, you know, a huge album called Good Times. Right. Uh, went top twenty, and um, it was, you know, quite a, uh, you know, it was amazing. It was just a thrill, you know. This this thing just kind of exploded and got on a lot of top ten nationwide uh, lists, including Rolling Stone. Believe it or yeah, not. Yeah. Yeah. And. Um, some wonderful, wonderful material, some stuff from the 60s, uh, unfinished tracks that we found, uh, including one by Davey singing. And then, of course, all these new uh, songs that writers uh, contributed to, like Ben Gibbard from Death Cab for Cutie and Rivers Cuomo from Weezer and uh, Noel Gallagher from Oasis and Paul Weller and Andy Partridge. It's just, uh, it was just a huge album for us. Yeah, fifty that, years later, you know, who would have thunk? I mean, I, I I often think that the equivalent would have been in nineteen sixty six. 
when you know the monkeys were out and the stones and the beatles to have a act have a top 20 album that was originally around from the year 1916. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> Al Jolson or Enrico Caruso. That was just weird. Anyway, yeah. I feel so blessed to have, you know, to been part of it. And oh. I do songs in my show from that album, too, of course. Oh, nice, nice, nice. And I, and I know you got to go, so I just want to ask you, Mickey, are you going to be doing some drumming? Uh, not in that one, not in my solo show. It's just... You know, I do it in monkey shows because I play on some of the stuff that, that Peter or Mike might sing or some, right. some things that I sing. But over the years, I've been encouraged and, you know, to come down front right. to sing the leads because, you know, I've talked to Phil about it and Ringo about it and I've talked to uh, Don about it. And, you know, over the years, the audience, the fans want to see who's singing the song and it's real tough to to you know, to light and to to get a good clean sound off right. lead vocals when you're sitting back behind the drums. It's it's tough and so everybody, you know, a Ringo comes down now most of the time right, to right. sing the lead vocals and uh, uh it's it you know, it's quite quite typical because uh, the audience wants to see you. Sure. And that that's always amazed me. I have I have never been able to understand for the life of me how anyone can play the drums and sing at the same time. Well, did it, you? I, I just, it, no, I'm seriously. It blows easy. my mind. Uh, there's <laughs> others that can do it a lot better than I can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop it! I, I'm very glad that you're going to be down front so that everyone could see you and and uh, and purely enjoy it. Well, Mickey, okay. I, I cannot I cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. Make sure that you go check out Dolan's uh, Dolan's Daughters Furniture. You got to look that up big time. So get you some handmade fine furniture from Mickey Dolan's and his daughters. And uh, go on Mickey's website, MickeyDolans.com. So once again, Mickey, thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again in the future. Okay. Thanks so much for your time. Bye-bye. All right, all right, take care. So there you have it. Mickey Dolans from the Monkees. You know, it's a pretty good interview, if I would say so myself. And I will say that to myself because I did the interview, so I think it was amazing. But Mickey was kind of the, the voice of that generation, actually. And if you go and do some research through Rolling Stone and such, there's been several articles that claim – Mickey had one of the most powerful, best voices of the entire 1960s and was really unappreciated, unrecognized. I mean, yeah, they sold a crap ton of records, especially in America. But as going down in the history books, Mickey's someone that's been a little overlooked. So you should go back and, and, and take a look at that. Now, let's just think about for a moment how amazing the 60s were in general. I mean, this entire decade had so many firsts, if you think about it historically. Like, here's something interesting for you. You know the Hollywood Walk of Fame, where they have all the stars there in, in uh, Hollywood? Hence the name Hollywood Walk of Fame. Well, the very first star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame was in 1960. That was on February 9th. And this is a good trivia question for you, which I guarantee you no one knows. Who was the first star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame? And this is a question that I would not have known had I not looked it up and been the genius that I am. Joanne Woodward, the very first ever star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So that happened in 1960. Something else really critical in 1960, which kind of have changed our lives forever, especially in this era we're in right now, is that that was the first ever televised presidential debate. And this is on September 26, 1960. Now, at this point, a whole lot of people were still listening to the debate on radio. 
And this debate was between da, 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 one John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon. And this shows you the amazing power of television because those who listened on radio thought the debate was about a tie. I mean, they polled, you know, thousands and thousands of people. Those who listened on the radio said, no, it's about a tie. It's a tie. But those who watched on television, the overwhelming majority, and 70 million people saw this on television, the overwhelming majority said Kennedy won that debate hands down. So that shows you kind of, again, the power of television with imagery and, and whatnot. 1961, giant sports fan myself. That's when uh, Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle were chasing Babe Ruth's home run record. Babe Ruth had a, a record of 60 home runs in a season. And that was back before everyone was on steroids and all the players were taking drugs and doing all this insane stuff. Back when you actually had to be a hell of a ball player to be good, right? So they were chasing his record of 60 home runs, and they were both exactly there, so close, so close, so close. Re Ruth's record was 60. Roger Maris hit number 61 to break the record and set the new record the very last game of the season. Okay, we're moving to 62, March 1962. Bob Dylan released his first album, so that gives you kind of a uh, little time frame there. 1962, also in August 5th, that's when Marilyn Monroe was found dead in her home. So Marilyn Monroe passed away August 5th, 1962. 1963 in March, Alcatraz, the famous prison. Yep, Alcatraz was closed. And why was it closed? They said it was high operation cost. So Alcatraz was closed, not because it, was, uh, it wasn't badass enough, because there's a whole other podcast about escaping from Alcatraz that probably should be produced here in the future by me. But anyway, they said the operational cost was too high, so they closed Alcatraz. In uh, August 28th, 1963, that was the famous I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King, the Lincoln Memorial. Shortly thereafter, November 22nd, that's when President Kennedy was assassinated. And the thing that started all, the thing that started it all, for him, we got a really big shoe, and I had a really big shoe, right? Yeah. That was February of 64. That's when the Beatles made their debut on the Ed Sullivan Show. So February 9th, 1964, that's your date that basically kicked off Beatlemania, at least as far as the United States goes. And speaking of the Beatles... For those of you who wanted to know when is the beginning of the end, almost all real Beatles fans and or Beatles historians, they will cite the date of November 7th, 1966 as the beginning of the end of the Beatles because that's the date that John Lennon met Yoko Ono. 1967 was also a year that we had the very first Super Bowl. So another great trivia question for you guys. Who played in the very first Super Bowl and who won it? Tick, 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 tick. The very first Super Bowl, the Packers beat the Chiefs. So there you go. The Packers beat the Chiefs in the very first quote-unquote Super Bowl. And then, you know, we had some other stuff happen. I think in, in 1969, a man was on the moon, you know, not as important as the Super Bowl, but, you know, put a man on the moon. And then, of course, 1969, also in August, Woodstock, something Still in the minds of all the people of all the generations, Woodstock in 1969. Now, we, I told you the monkeys were super important. And if you haven't heard the monkeys' music, I encourage you to go listen to it. Because not only is it just some great 
music in general, but there's so many pieces of the monkeys that fit into our pop culture as Americans to begin with. And lots of weird coincidences, and you know I love the coincidences, that deal with this band and, and U.S. history and the history of music. First of all, there were four members of the Monkees. Uh, Mickey Dolenz, who you heard the interview with, he was, he was the lead singer, sang most of the tracks on there. Davy Jones, he was a short Englishman, super cute. He was the eye candy. All the girls loved Davy. They all loved Davy. And then you watch the Monkees TV show, he was the object of affection in most of the TV show. Then you had Peter Tork, who was a very quiet, shy type, very non-threatening, quiet, shy type, which, you know, girls like to. And you had Michael Nesmith, who was kind of the tall, lanky Texan, the smartest one, kind of the leader of the group. And so if you, if you think about it now, looking backwards, the monkeys were almost like the prototypical Spice Girls, because the Spice Girls kind of embodied all the different female stereotypes, if you think about it. You had Baby, who was like the nice, cute, shy, innocent one. Okay, got that. That's a female stereotype. Sporty, the athletic, jock type, volleyball player, softball player type, right? You had Jerry, who was the ginger, the sexy, you know, kind of a temptress. And then you had um, Victoria, who was the super posh, elegant, model, sophisticated one. And then, you, of course, you had... Melanie B, Scary Spice, who has had a great career in America's Got Talent, by the way. And she was kind of the just girl power, feminist, out there, in your face, I do what I want type. So if you, if you kind of make that comparison, that's sort of how the monkeys were at that time. They, they filled every different male stereotype. So I think that's part of the reason they were so appealing, is because every girl out there, no matter who she was, could find the boy she liked out of that group from one of the different types. Michael Nesmith, who was the strong, tall leader type, whatever, he was a Texan and uh, still had that little twang and has gone on to have an amazing solo career singing country music. Go figure, right? And something neat to know about Michael Nesmith is that his mother, his mother invented liquid paper. And if you're a millennial or a gen... Z or LMNOP, whatever. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't keep track with all that. If you don't know what liquid paper is, it basically was a paste that back in the old days when we had to type on typewriters, you made a mistake. You're like, oh, son of a... <clears throat> you had to paste this little paint, this little paste over the thing, let it dry, and then type over it. So it was a correction fluid, right? So she invented liquid paper in 1951, and the original name of it was called Mistake Out. Not that great of a name, right? Mistake Out, right? But anyway, so Michael Nesmith had money, has always had money, thanks to his mom inventing that. I mean, they were dirt poor until she invented it. She was a secretary and invented it to try to save herself time and trouble while she was making corrections on her work. But once she did that, they actually had money and such. And in fact, she sold that company in 1979 for $47.5 million. $47.5 million in 1979 money. Uh, so not too shabby, right? So Mike always had money, and that's just a neat fact that Michael Nesmith from The Monkees, his mom invented liquid paper. Here's another amazing coincidence that I love. 
Davy Jones, like the little young heartthrob I told you about, right? He was the, how do I say it? He was like the answer to the Beatles, okay? The monkeys were like the American answer to the Beatles. So they had all these big sales competitions that, you know, everything was just like crazy. Monkeys versus Beatles, monkeys versus Beatles, monkeys versus Beatles. Now, of course, in the big history of the scheme, you know, the Beatles are going to win out overall as in the history of music. Not to downplay the monkeys, but they just will. I mean, it's the Beatles, dude, right? But the neat coincidence is, since this was such a huge, huge rivalry, told you the Beatles went on Ed Sullivan, right? The Beatles went on Ed Sullivan in 1964, February 9th. At that point, the monkeys as a group didn't even exist. But on the exact same episode of Ed Sullivan that the Beatles were on, Davy Jones from the monkeys appeared on that same episode. Seriously. Davy Jones was in a Broadway production of Oliver, and he was playing the Artful Dodger. He was the Artful Dodger, and he sang as the Artful Dodger on the Ed Sullivan Show on the exact same episode as the Beatles made their debut. So, I mean, how crazy is that? You talk about weird coincidences and what? There you go. That one's pretty crazy. I already told you about the monkeys outselling the Beatles and the Stones combined in the Summer of Love. I'm a Believer, which was a huge, huge Monkeys hit, which, by the way, was written by Neil Diamond. For whatever reason, Neil Diamond didn't record that song, so the Monkeys did. And I bet Neil Diamond felt pretty stupid because that song was number one for 18 weeks, which was huge. But aside from that, there was another guy you may have heard of by the name of David Bowie. <laughs> David Bowie? Yeah, David Bowie. And David Bowie... His actual legal name is David Robert Jones. And so when David Bowie started out making music, he had a group called Davy Jones and the King Bees and had a single out from that called Lisa Jane, right? So Davy Jones and the King Bees. So this one particular David Bowie changed his name from Davy Jones because Davy Jones was so big and so popular that... Yeah, Bowie kind of had problems getting booked because they thought he was Davy Jones from the Monkees. So he changed his name to David Bowie because of the Monkees, right? There you go. How do you like that one? Moog synthesizers, pretty much any synthesizer that you can imagine. Music today, they all have the drum beats and all that mess and all that space sound and stuff. Well, Moog synthesizers were the first electronic things that came out and uh, had anything to do with that. Well, Mickey Dolenz, our buddy we interviewed, he bought one of the first 20 of those ever made. And in fact, most historians agree that the Monkees track called Daily Nightly, it's the name of it, nice title, right? Daily Nightly features the first ever Moog synthesizer on a mainstream, quote-unquote, recorded album. So Monkees were kind of like uh, you know, trailblazers in that regard. Star Trek, you know you love Star Trek, right? Remember uh, Chekhov from Star Trek? Pavel Chekhov? Well, you know why they hired him? Because he looks like Davy Jones. And the creators of Star Trek wanted to try to attract a younger audience, so they cast someone that looked just like Davy Jones because they thought it would attract younger viewers. He was nice and cute and all that. So if you ever have fun, just for the hell of it, take a picture of Davy Jones and put it next to Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're going to be amazed that how, like, holy cow, right? 
Two other fun facts about the monkeys that you're going to dig. Number one of the two, you ready? Their movie that they wrote and acted in called Head, H-E-A-D, Head, the script was written by none other than Jack Nicholson. Yes, the same Jack Nicholson you know and love from billions and billions of movies. He actually wrote the, the script for Head, right? And this was the monkeys, and the monkeys at that time were just so happy and go-lucky and family-friendly and whatnot, and yet this movie was rated R, and there's really nothing dirty in it. You watch it by today's standards, it's probably a G, but then the movie was rated R because it showed uh, scenes of violence. It had a couple clips from wars to where someone was shot and things like this, and so it was rated R, and Nicholson wrote that movie. And it originally cost $790,000 to make. And it was a huge box office flop. Huge at the time. It only brought in $16,000, basically, in its run. So it cost $790,000 to make. It brought in $16,000. You're like, yeah, maybe not so much. But the great thing about it is now it has gone on to be literally a cult classic. It is a big-time successful film in the history of film. And a lot of universities actually study that movie, which is fascinating just on its own right. But there's been, it's gone back and forth. We're not sure who it's attributed to. Rappelson, who was one of the Monkees producers, has said this at the time. Nicholson has said it. We don't know. But they all said, why'd you call it head? Why'd you call it head? Why'd you call it head? Some of them said, well, it's because, you know, it's like in your mind. It's a head trip or what have you. But it was either Rappelson or Nicholson said it. They said, in case the movie was really successful and there was a sequel, we wanted to be able to say, from the producers who gave you head. <laughs> oh, can you imagine that as an advertising campaign? Just amazing. And finally, we go back to our friend Michael Nesmith, whose mother invented liquid paper. So, like, that's cool. His mom invented liquid paper. Do you realize Michael Nesmith invented MTV? What? Are you serious? Yeah, I am serious. Michael Nesmith invented MTV. In 1977, he made a quote-unquote music video for his song, Rio. And this was like a big deal, because there really weren't any music videos around back then. And there's a toss-up. Some people say the Beatles actually invented music videos because of the little romp montages in their movies. And some people say the Monkees invented music videos. Because if you watch their TV show, they had basically music videos, was half their TV shows. But Michael Nesmith in 1977 for the song Rio put a lot of effort into it, made an actual music video which was released and distributed, which the Monkees and the Beatles obviously did not do. So this kind of caught on and stuff. So Nesmith, he made a music video show for Nickelodeon called Pop Clips. So he would take songs and get music, make kind of videos for those songs, and this was a series that was on Nickelodeon, and it was highly successful, highly popular, and he was invited to join the creative team, which in case you don't know, MTV and Nickelodeon are, are the same in the same conglomerate there. He was invited to join the creative team to develop something to basically create MTV, and Nesmith said no, he didn't want to do that, he's not interested in that, he didn't have the time, so he sold the concept to Time Warner. So Nesmith sold the pop clips concept to Time Warner, who knows for how much, I'm, I'm sure a lot. And they went on to create MTV. So there you go. You learned a lot about the 60s you may or may not have known. 
you learn to appreciate a band called the Monkees. You know, I wish I could play their music on this for you, but as you know, for podcasts, if you play music, it costs $850,000 per second to play a song. So I just encourage you to go look up the Monkees, M-O-N-K-E-E-S. They had tons of songs you probably know already, but you just didn't realize. I'm a Believer, Daydream Believer, Last Train to Clarksville, Pleasant Valley Sunday, I'm Not Your Stepping Stone. You know, the, the list goes on and on, but uh, they had a lot of great songs. Check out their songs, check out their music, appreciate the band. You know, I'm not saying this because I'm not like, I'm paid by Mickey Dolan's guy, I wish. I wish, hey Mickey, mail me a check, please. That would be amazing. But no, it's just because they're an amazing band that deserves to be appreciated. So that's it. Check the monkeys out. Enjoy it. They are on tour right now. Mickey is on tour with Mike. So Mr. I Invented MTV, Mr. Mom Invented Liquid Paper. Mickey and Mike are, have been doing some shows together. And then Mickey has done some solo shows as well. So check it out. Just search under Mickey Dolan's to see his solo shows. And uh, Mickey and Mike, when they play together, they're playing under the title of The Mike Nesmith and Mickey Dolan Show. So you can search under The Mike and Mickey and uh, try to find that as well. And uh, big thank you to KKT for the audio on that interview. So here's your fun fact for today, which I think you'll dig. Bananas, right? I mean, we all like bananas. We all eat bananas. Do you know the particular type of banana that we most commonly eat here in the United States? It's called the Cavendish. The Cavendish banana? That banana cannot reproduce. Hmm. So how do we get more bananas? Well, I mean, if you think about it, it doesn't have seeds, so it cannot reproduce. So the only way it reproduces is that farmers remove and transplant part of the stem into the ground to make more bananas, but it cannot reproduce on its own. So your bonus fun fact is, you know, why are bananas curved? You know, think about other fruit and stuff, but bananas have that weird curve. It is due, are you going to love this, to a term that is called negative geotropism. Negative geotropism. It's your word of the day, right? And basically what happens is as a banana grows, it gets too heavy, so it starts sloping further and further away. And so it literally curves against its own weight, trying to get closer to the sun. So the banana's curve basically doing crunches, right? Trying to get closer to the sun to get more sunlight. And that is why bananas are curved. Well, I really appreciate you guys listening to it. Please like, download, and share this podcast. Sharing's important. I'll continue to put forth the effort to bring you great shows, great information, fun stuff, but you got to share it. If you don't share it, then it ain't going to happen. Because I want you to become the water cooler genius yourself. Oh, and here's your dad joke for the day. You always got to go out on a good joke. So here you go. Are you ready for this? Here we go. Did you actually know, true story, the first French fries weren't actually cooked in France? No, no, no. They were cooked in Greece. <laughs> You guys have a great and amazing, wonderful week, and we'll see you next time on Water Cooler Genius. Bye-bye.